Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. I don't know if you've ever had your confidence challenged. And I'm not sure that there's anywhere quite like a crosswalk to have your confidence challenged. That you go up there and, you know, it has the red hand that you can't cross, and so you push the button and to change the light. And then inevitably, somebody's going to come right after you, having seen you push the button for the light, and they're going to like, take one look at you and one look at the button, and then they're going to go and push the button for the light because they don't feel like your pushing of the button was a good enough pushing of the button, so they had to re-push the button to undo the problematic pushing of the button that you made. And so like, what's wrong? Was my, my button pushing inferior? I, I don't want that to happen, so I hog the button. I'm that person that just stands there, boom, 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 you know, wait, 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 my only time to be a rapper, wait, 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 I'm just trying to beatbox, wait, 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 I don't want anybody coming and wait, wait, so you push the button, and you know, it doesn't matter how many times you push the button, the little man in the thing is going to change the light when he feels that it's the right time to change the light, and there are only two options, wait, walk. Wait, the little red hand, walk, the little white guy. Only two options. That's all you get at the crosswalk. But it's powerful because it can take you from one side to the other. When, when, when Jesus launched the disciples into their future, he came with just two simple commands. Walk and wait. Walk, go, wait, stop. Two commands that he gave to the only church. We pick up some of that here in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 28. Let me read it to you again. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So now they're on this mountain. Jesus told them to get there. They're waiting there. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, in this moment, on this mountain, in this discourse, in this passage, of scripture. Jesus is not addressing a, a group of supercharged saints full of faith ready to flip their world upside down. That's not who he is addressing. He is addressing post-crucifixion disciples. And to be honest, this is a pretty motley crew. You've got Peter, probably arguably the strongest uh, most opinionated, trying to get out there sort of guy. We have him where he has passively just denied Jesus openly. 
We know that some of the disciples fled at the crucifixion. Many of them hid because of fear of the Jews. Some went back to their own times of, of work. Uh, we know that some were, were doubting. Even now, in this passage of Scripture, where Jesus has called them onto the mountain and he's talking to them, many are believing, but the Bible says here that some doubted. They cannot comprehend. Now, you would think that after three years of personal training that they had received side by side with the Savior, they would have made it. But when push came to shove, they faltered when tested. They failed when they were under pressure. They gave up when it was their greatest opportunity. It was almost like they were standing there and the big red hand faced them and said, stop, we're done. No more. This is over. But then Jesus came to them. Everyone say, Jesus came to them. Jesus came to them. The light is about to change. Jesus is about to challenge them to take big, bold steps of faith. Jesus is about to challenge them to come in as the men and the women that he'd raised up and to overthrow their world and to establish his kingdom on planet Earth. The bigness of that command to walk is contained in this passage under four different words, and the simple word is all, A-L-L. You have been given all authority to go to all the nations, teaching all the commands, empowered by his presence all the time and all ways. So Jesus is calling them to walk in authority. He's calling them to walk with intentionality. He is calling them to walk with passion. And most importantly, he's calling them to walk with his presence. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this walk starts with authority, all authority. And Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus has been given authority, and he is about to give that authority to his disciples. And we learn here that the power of authority comes when authority is delegated to us. Jesus said, authority has been given to me. That's how we get authority. Authority is given. Understanding and embracing delegated authority is a game changer for every believer. Now, in the book of Mark, chapter 11, we see they came to Jerusalem as they was walking to the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to Jesus, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? We see you doing these things. Who gave you the authority to do these things? Or who gave you the authority to do it? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I'll tell you what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. In other words, where did John get his authority? Did he get it from heaven or did he get it from man? The 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 Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, they understand this concept of delegated authority. They discussed it with one another and said, if we say from heaven, he'll say, why didn't you believe him? 
If we say from man, then they're afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. And so they answered and said, we don't know. Jesus answered them and said, neither will I tell you what authority I do these things. I I love Jesus. He was just so smart. They're coming to him, questioning him, and he doesn't answer them. He asks questions and takes them off the track and they can't even answer him. We need to remember that next time we're ever watching a pastor being interviewed on CNN or on Fox or all these things and they don't answer the question like we think they should answer the question. Number one, we're not the person being interrogated by the media, but we need to answer the question with a question. Jesus just pushed it away by asking this question. Why? Because Jesus knew the power of authority. Someone has authority, Jesus is talking about, because they have been given authority. That's how we get it. All authority is delegated. Your authority to get on an airplane comes with a ticket. That's your anointing. That's your marking that says, you have authority to get on this plane. And so you walk up to the gate, The gate agent looks at your ticket, swipes it, beeps it, says you can go. You go down the gateway, down the jetway, you get on the plane, you walk down there, you see on your ticket what seat you've been allocated. You have the authority to sit in that seat. You go and take your seat and wait for the plane to take off and excited that at some point you're going to get a little tiny Coke and a bag of pretzels. But that's the authority that you've got to be on the plane. But even though you have the authority to be on the plane, the only reason that you have the authority is the airline gave you the authority to be on the plane. The hostess, the host on the plane, they have authority on you. They can pick you up out of your seat and they can move you to another seat. The captain has the authority over the stewardess and the stewards on the plane. He has ultimate authority on the plane. All authority stops with the captain. And so you are under the authority while you're on the plane of other people. You don't have the ability to go, I paid for my ticket, I have all authority. No one cares. All that you paid for was the ability to get a seat. You got that seat by being under the authority of the airline. So you are a person under authority and you got the power to fly and get to your destination because the authority has been delegated. Authority is like like a red light at a traffic sign has authority. You see the red light and the authority of the red light says you need to stop because the red light is backed by the authority of the law. And so you stop. You see a green light, you go. You see an amber light, you speed up. Every one of those has authority to cause you to have a reaction. The crosswalk gives you the authority. When it's a big red hand is up, you don't have the authority to walk. When the little white dude is there, you have the authority to walk because you can trust the traffic has been stopped and everything is okay for me. All authority is delegated. Matthew chapter 8. But the centurion replied to Jesus, who was being invited to go and pray for his servant. The centurion replied to Jesus, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. So he's saying, I, I, I acknowledge an authority over you and you're, you're too, 
I, I, I can't have you at my house. You're too big to come. All I need you to do is you have the authority, you say the word through that authority, and my servant is going to be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Can you imagine the Messiah saying that? Of all the people that I've encountered, I've never seen anybody have faith, understand spiritual dynamics like this man did. What did he understand? He understand understood delegated authority. Great faith is equated with understanding authority as a gift and something that is delegated. I am a man under authority. In other words, I have authority not because I'm special. I have authority because I've been given authority. So as a centurion, I have authority that's been delegated to me by my commander, delegated through the emperor, comes down the line. Now, I have authority, and those that work under me, they have authority because I give them the authority. When I tell them to go, they go in full authority of the emperor because it came through me. When I tell them to come, they come in full authority. Why? Because I've given them the authority that comes down from above down onto me. And Jesus said, man, you, you get this. Like, this is a game changer. If my disciples could get it, if my church could get it, you have great faith. I've not met anybody that understands this principle quite like you. Well done. Even Pilate, when he had going to crucify Jesus, didn't have the authority to do it. It was actually gifted to him. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you. Jesus said to him, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. She says, you think you have authority, you have governmental authority, but you couldn't do what you're planning to do. You'd have no authority to do anything over me unless God gave you that authority. And this is a part of God's plan. Unless this is a part of God's will. God would send legions of angels in to topple you over. The only reason you can do this is because God has given you authority. That's the authority that delegated. You, when you understand that you've been gifted authority because it's been gifted to you, then the, the benefit of that is then you can now walk in that authority. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's been delegated. It's been gifted to me. I'm, I'm operating in this authority. And then he turned to the disciples and said, go. In other words, I am giving you, I have the authority. Now I'm giving you the authority and I want you to go with just been given a command by Jesus to go, and we've been given the authority of Jesus to go in. When the centurion says, I am a man under authority, I say go, and he goes. 
So the centurion's like, I am a man under authority. What did Jesus say? I've been given all authority. What did the centurion say? I tell that one to go and he goes. What did Jesus say? I have all authority. I'm telling you to. So maybe Jesus commissioned or, or complimented, should I say, the centurion for great faith because he was actually prophesying something that Jesus was going to do in birthing the church. The centurion says, I understand I have authority because I've been given authority and I delegate that authority out and I tell people to go and they go. Jesus said, I've been given all authority and I'm telling my church to do the exact same thing. I'm telling them, get off your backside and go. Now, the challenge with the church in 2023 is that too many Christians have a two-year-old mentality. And they're like, well, you're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. I'm the center of my own existence. Well, the challenge with that is if you can't submit to leadership, you have downgraded your authority. You think you've got more authority because you're like, I'm the boss. I'm in charge. No one can tell me what to do. But where's, where's the authority gifted to you? All authority is gifted. All authority comes delegated down. And so the only way that you and I can operate in real authority is being submitted to authority. Anything else lacks faith, lacks wisdom, and lacks authority. The centurion said, I am a man under authority. I say go, and they go. The centurion himself doesn't really have anything other than the authority that has been invested into him. And he's walking in that authority. And so when we walk, we want to walk in authority that has been gifted to us and invested to us. Being under authority, or the, the word that no one likes to hear these days, submission, does not rob you of authority, it actually gives you authority. Most people, I don't want to be submitted to anybody. I don't want to be submitted to you. I don't want to be submitted to her. I'm not going to be submitted to her. And you think it gives you authority. No, you get authority when you're submitted to greater levels of authority. And the reality is that our authority is only tested when our submission to authority is tested. So I pastored for close to 10 years in New Zealand, had my own ministry for three or four years after that, went on staff at Champion Center in Tacoma, Washington as their youth pastor. Now I knew when I went on staff where I would be in the pecking order of authority uh, because I've been in ministry for quite a while. I wanted to be a youth pastor. I wasn't hard up for a job. I believe this was the call of God. But I remember when I went on staff with Pastor Kevin, I knew what it was going to be like because I'm going to be a man under authority. I'm going to have the authority to be a youth pastor because I'm getting it from the senior pastor. And I knew how other people would see it. Because the youth pastor is not like they're in the top. The pecking order is usually like senior pastor, followed by executive pastor, and then an associate pastor, then an assistant pastor, then the relatives of the assistant pastor, then the worship pastor, then the janitor, then the relatives and the friends of the janitor, people that don't like the janitor, people that are complaining about the janitor, people that hate the janitor, ex-janitor's youth pastor. I knew I, I, knew I was there somewhere. And when I went on staff, I told Pastor Kevin, I, I've been walking as a number one leader all these years. My, my challenge is going to come when you tell me to do something that I don't want to do. The challenge of my submission 
to his authority would never be when I'm just doing what I like doing. The challenge to my authority is only going to be when he tells me to do something I really don't want to do and my ability to submit myself to that authority. That's the only thing that gave me authority. And I knew when those challenges came, they happened about three times from memory over a four-year period, that he asked me to do something or told me to do something that I didn't want to do or I disagreed, but I was able to submit myself for the welfare of the vision. And when you can submit, you get greater levels of authority. It's hard. We don't want to submit. And so we don't have any authority. But if you want to walk in kingdom authority, you have to be submitted to it. Someone's got to be able to tell you to say, go and you go. Somebody's got to be saying to you, come and you come. Somebody's got to be able to say to you, do this and you do it. Somebody's got to be able to say to you, can you please move up a few seats and sit closer to the front? Like We're going to struggle with delegated authority because you won't even let one of our hosts tell you where to sit. I know some of you have been brutal. I've had our host come up with tears. When we did two services in the chapel, our, our hosts were terrified to talk to any of you to ask you to sit anywhere else because they knew what reaction they were going to get from you. No! I think somebody said, I give to this church. I'll sit where I want. You have no authority. You, you have, you're generous, but you have no authority. Because if an usher can't tell you where to sit and you just go, yes, I don't want to go to battle with anybody who can't take direction from an usher who can tell them where to go and sit. That's got to be the easiest thing because all these chairs are pretty much the same. No one can tell me what to do. Why are you not going to have any authority? We are in a dangerous place if we can't identify someone who has authority in our life. I had a mentor that had huge authority in my life. Brilliant man. But of recent, he has not been able to submit to any authority. And his inability to submit to any authority means that right now, as far as I'm concerned, he doesn't have any authority. Because he's in, I, unable to submit to a great, when, when no one can tell you no and no one can tell you go, you're in a dangerous place. Every one of us needs to be able to identify someone who has authority that they can speak into our life and they can tell us to go and we say, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir, and we just go. We've got to have somebody in our life like that. For me, there's a variety of people. It's not just one. It's a variety of people. The Assembly of God in the Potomac region, Pastor Frank, Potter has authority to come and speak in to my life because why he leads the assemblies of God in the Potomac district. I have my credentialing through the assemblies of God in Australia. And so Pastor Wayne Alcorn and the board, and I can run down the list of people, Steve Kelly, Steve Kennedy, different people that have authority in my life. I have men and women in my life that could come up and they could say, jump. And I would jump. And after I jumped, I would say, did you like the jump? Did I jump high enough? Would you like a pirouette in my jump? You've got to have someone who can speak into your life and say no if you ever want to have someone give you the power to say go. Jesus 
has called us to walk, and Jesus has called us to walk in his authority. But Jesus delegated his authority. Jesus gave apostles and pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets to train up the church to do the work of the ministry. God put apostolic coverings over our life to train us up to do the work of the ministry. We are a body fit together. And so you have to have leadership. Jesus gives leadership and it delegates down. And whoever the leader is over you is probably serving another leader who's under another leader who's under under authority. And at the end, it goes up to Jesus and that authority trickles down and you walk in authority because you're submitted to authority. If no one can tell you, no, I'm here to tell you today, you're in a very dangerous place. You may think you have all power, you may think you have authority, but you have all power and all authority in a tiny little world, which is your own life. You don't have it anywhere else. The only way we get greater levels of authority in our life is to be submitted to higher levels of authority. And so Jesus called us to walk and to walk in authority. Then the command is clear. Jesus said, go, but then he said, go to all the nations. Go into all the nations. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go into all the world, impact all nations, minister to all people groups, reach out to all ages, and preach the gospel in all languages. We had to go to all the world. Well, what, what does all the world mean? Like, like how, how, do we, how do we do that? Because it's a big planet. Well, Jesus gave the strategy, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, those locations meant something to those disciples, and for us to make sense to us, we need to have allegory to understand what Jesus is saying. So, our Jerusalem is here. It's our home base. It's our church. Jesus has given you and I the responsibility to build a great church home here at Word of Life Church. He's given us the responsibility to reach our city. Today, we're taking up our heart for the house offering. At the end of this service, we're going to give our heart for the house offering. Many of you have prepared. Some of you, this is new, and so you'll have the next couple of weeks to be able to do this as you prepare your heart. And you should only do what you feel like you can do. What your, what your faith says you can do should never be manipulated, should never be forced, should never be pressured to give. You should make a conscious, deliberate decision. That way you can give out a generosity and not out of oblig, uh, grudging obligation. But at the end of the service today, we're going to receive that. Many of you are already prepared. You can give cash or you can give a check or you can give online. And we're going to pray over your giving. That heart for the house offering is our once a year offering to do things here at Word of Life that we couldn't just do on our regular tithes and offerings. We do a lot of things. We pay the power. We do a lot of renovations. We do a lot of upgrades as the year goes on. But there's certain projects to make our house look fantastic that we can't do in regular tithes and offerings. You're sitting in seats right now on carpet in an auditorium that was a result of people last year giving generously to the house so we could upgrade this level of the auditorium. We have a vision to upgrade the balcony. We're growing. We have two services. First service, a bit like this, quite full. We're starting to get to the place where we would need our balcony. For sure, if we ever did one service and combine all of our four services that happen on a Sunday morning, we'd spill into the balcony. 
So at some point, we're going to need it. We're renovating that right now. So that's a project that we have on. We want to pour money into our children's facility. Our children need some of their auditoriums renovated and upgraded. They've got stages that have been there for years. We need to destroy them and build them brand new stages and let our children know we love you. You're valued. We want to build a great place for you to have church. Anybody want to build a great place for our children to have church? Our parking lot needs some loving attention. We need lights out there at night. Any woman that's been out there at night would know what I'm talking about. And even some of you men that are afraid of the dark. We need, we need to upgrade that. And then our parking lot needs help. That's a really big project. And I'm not sure that we can just do this with one half of the house offering, but we can at least begin the process to be able to renovate our parking lot. We, 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 we've patched it up. Christina's been out there with a bag of guitar, just filling holes in, some super glue and whatever. We, we, need, to, we need to redo that. Why? Because we want people to drive onto this parking lot and feel like we value them. We value. Listen, man demands excellence, but God deserves excellence. God deserves our best. Our church is 75 years of age, and we're just beginning right now. Abraham was 75 years of age when he began his journey. We are 75 years old this year. We're just beginning our journey. God has spoken to us and told us, do not settle. Do not camp here. Use this as a platform to launch into the future. God has given us a spectacular building on a brilliant property in a strategic location. He has set us up to win our community. It's your and my responsibility to build God a house that people can flood into and get saved Lives can get turned around. People can get uh, their, their, their faith resurrected or receive faith for the very first time. This is our responsibility. It's our responsibility to receive the heart. Is there anybody, is it just me? Am I the only person respond? Am I the only person excited? Have you got faith to believe? Anybody got faith to believe God can do something great? How many people can believe God to do something great? Come on, why don't you tell him right now? God, I'm expecting you. See my friends saved. See my neighbors saved. See my children saved. See my grandchildren saved. This is our Jerusalem. Then our Judea is the wider area of our church. Jesus has given us responsibility to reach out to our wider community. Word of Life Christian Academy is our school to provide Christian education to our community. We have our Business Leaders Network. Uh, Derek's been helping me launch that where we can raise up business leaders in the community and, and facilitate the dreams and visions they have and to raise up kingdom builders. And so we want to prosper our city by teaching them the word of God. And we're praying for God to give us opportunity to do that. Uh, we want to minister to the broken in our community. Well, I have a burden. I say, God, I want to build a great house and I want to have great church. But I don't want to just have great church and not do what you've called us to do, and that's minister to the poor, minister to the broken, minister to the, to the hurting. So God, use us. June 24, you would have seen it on the church news. We're doing our first Hope Expo. It's on a Saturday morning. We're going to have a job fair, financial help. 
a health fair. We're going to run a marketplace where we sell discounted clothing and furniture to try to help people out. All the money that we raise from that, we're going to reinvest to children in El Salvador and in Peru uh, as their goal. We want to give away food on that day, give away some resources on that day. This is our opportunity to launch. We are going to walk into a partnership real soon. Some of you may remember Dave Donaldson. Dave Donaldson, head, Dave Donaldson heads up CityServe. And we've been uh, working with Dave to set up CityServe out of our church to become a pod that can minister the needs in the community. How it will work is you'll have an app and you maybe have a neighbour that needs a bed. You'll go onto the app. You'll see what we have in supply. You'll let us know. I have a neighbour. They've just moved in from Ethiopia and they uh, have no furniture. Do you have a bed? We can go on the app. Yes, we have a, uh, a bed available. Call you. You pick it up. You take it to them. You bless them. You become the hero. Either way it works out, we need to do something to help the poor. We need to do something to help those that are burdened around us. This is the commission of God. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. We support Chi Alpha. We support FCA, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It gives us the ability to take God onto the campus amongst athletes in our community. This is a part of our Samaria Teen Challenges. Uh, Teen Challenge, should I say. We want to invest into that. This is our opportunity for our Samaria. God is calling us to raise up and plant campuses. Hopefully in the next little bit, next month or so, we'll be able to let you know of an opportunity God may be placing into our hand. I don't know whether he is or not yet, but it looks that way, that God is placing us into our hand to have a campus outside of here for Word of Life Church. And so God is doing what God said he was going to do when we got here, which is to raise us up as an apostolic center. God has given us a vision. God has given us a mandate. And God has told us to go. And we're not going in our authority. We're going in the authority and the commands of Jesus Christ. We're walking in his authority and his power. I don't know about you, but that excites me. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the earth. Maybe you're like, well, what are we doing about missions? Listen, Word of Life has been good with missions for a really long time. We have put a lot of money into the world around us and little money at home. But it's not either or. It's not like, well, we can either look after a house and not look after the world or look after the world and not look after the house. We're bigger than that. Our God is bigger than that. If Jesus didn't intend us to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the outermost parts of the earth, he wouldn't have told us to do that. If he just wanted us to go to the outermost, he would have said, go to the outermost. If he only wanted us to go to Jerusalem, we'd just go to Jerusalem. But Jesus said, no, my church is big. My church is wide. My people have vision. My people have excitement. They have faith. They believe me. And we're going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. We're going to build a great home here. We're going to impact the poor. We're going to release ministries and we're going to go into the mission field and see the gospel. We're already, we're still like number 17 in the nation missions giving church. We support over 85 missionaries in the Assembly of God World Missions alone. Over 85 missionaries around the world. But we also are building a church in El Salvador. We're also helping build a ministry center to train up ministers in uh, Iquitos, Peru, to launch ministries up and down the Amazon River to take the gospel to where people have never heard it. We're going to Ghana 
this year and next year to start to plant churches. We're going to Ethiopia in January of next year. God is opening doors to the world, but it's not either or. It's the genius of the end. Reach here and the world. We are are big enough, people, and our God is big enough to do it all. Jesus said, I want you to walk and walk in authority, and I want you to walk with intentionality. We're not just throwing stuff up and hoping that God will catch it. No, we are walking with vision. We're walking with intentionality. We're believing that God will use us to do what God said he's going to do. The strategy, the focus, the, 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 the passion to change the world comes with the Verse that Jesus said, I want you to teach all the commands. Look look what it says here. Go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Go into all the world, he says in the book of Mark, and proclaim the gospel to all of creation. So once we understand what the gospel is, this is what we've been commanded to preach. Everything else should fall into place. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. In other words, I have authority because he's anointed me and I have the authority to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He was quoting from Isaiah. Isaiah put it like this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all who mourn. The go begins with intimacy. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. There's nothing greater than what you and I have than to have intimacy with Jesus. That's a starting place for everything. I I think if you spend time in his presence, then you will get consumed with his purpose. It's hard. It's hard to spend time in his presence and not come out of it with compassion for the lost. This whole reaching out to the poor came in a prayer moment when I was overwhelmed by the presence of God and God saying, what is your church doing to help the least of these? You're doing a lot overseas. What are you doing at home? The closer you get to him, the more you get consumed with his purpose. It begins with authority. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, has sent me, has given me authority. It's in boldness to proclaim, to sound the alarm, to blow a trumpet. And it begins with understanding what the gospel is. I think most people don't preach the gospel, number one, because they don't feel like they're adequate. They don't feel like they're good enough. I'm not sure am I good enough to lead anybody to the Lord. Listen, you are not good enough. None of us are good enough. God is good. And they're not getting saved because of your goodness. They're getting saved because of his goodness. They're not getting saved because you're brilliant. They're getting saved because he's brilliant. You're not God. He's God. We're operating in faith that he's going to do everything and we're just being obedient to let God step in. And so stop worrying about whether you're good enough or smart enough or gracious enough or can can say it in the right words. No, just be a presence to lead people to Jesus Christ. And I don't think we understand the gospel. I think most people see the gospel as some fire insurance policy. Like when you die, 
Where are you going to go? Heaven or hell? You don't want to burn. Hell. Now, the truth is, you can be wrong about a lot of things. You can be a supporter of the Philadelphia Eagles. Do we have any of those here, supporters of the Philadelphia Eagles? <laughs> and you can experience the tragedy of losing the Super Bowl. But you always got next season. But eternity is the wrong thing to be wrong about. Like if you haven't got the whole heaven hell thing worked out, you better get that worked out. So I'm not downplaying eternity because that's the most important thing ever. And every week we get people an opportunity to have a fresh start in their life and relationship with God and get them on their walk for eternity. So I'm not downgrading eternity. It's the wrong thing to be wrong about. All I'm saying is the gospel is more than just about heaven and hell. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. Good news to the poor is that Jesus came to break the curse of poverty and that you don't need to be poor. Heal the brokenhearted. He's saying, listen, if you've had your heart smashed and you can't trust anymore, I'm going to heal you in such a way that you can live in freedom and, and, and in wholeness. Liberty to the captives is Jesus said, I'll forgive you of your sin. I'll pull the spear of sin out and set you free from the guilt of sin and the consequences of sin. Recovery of sight to the blind. I'm going to heal your body. I'm going to heal your life. And I'm going to give you vision to set at liberty the oppressed. If there's any habit or there's any addiction that's squashing the life out of you, I'll break the addiction. I'll break the habit. I'll set you free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm here to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. God doesn't hate you. God loves you. God's not against you. God is for you. I've come to proclaim the day of God's vengeance. This is awesome. The day, what, what's the gospel of the gospel of God's vengeance is you don't have to take vengeance on anybody. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So anybody hurt you, anybody messed you up, your responsibility is to forgive them. That's hard. Now you don't have to have to trust them again, but you have to forgive them. Forgiveness puts you in a place of authority over that situation. And once you forgive them, you hand vengeance over to God. While you hold the forgiveness, lack of forgiveness, you're taking vengeance yourself. But the moment you forgive, vengeance becomes the Lord's. And then comfort those who mourn. This is the gospel. No wonder Jesus said it's good news. Because these are good things. They're far better than any of you are responding right now. You should be smiling. You are recipients of the gospel. You don't have to be poor. Jesus came to break the curse of poverty. You don't have to be brokenhearted. Jesus came to heal you. You, you don't have to be a captive to sin. You don't have to be a, captain, uh, a captive to an addiction. Jesus come to set you free. You can live in liberty. You can forgive because vengeance is the Lord. It's the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus has come to give you life and life more abundantly. And the gospel can start in you. Then it can flow out to other people. We're commanded to make disciples. In other words, I, I get saved, I get discipled, and now it's my responsibility to help someone else get saved and to disciple them. We're called to see people get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're, we're taught to command people the Word of God, to teach them the commandments. And, and, and reading the Word of God 
Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. How many of you know there's some pretty ungodly counsel out there right now? You don't have to go too far to hear the counsel of the ungodly, stand the pathway of the sinner, or sit in the seat of the scornful. But if you can get your delight in the law of the Lord, then that's what brings health and life to us. And then Jesus says, go. So you will receive power and you will be witnesses to the end of the earth. So Jesus has called us to walk with authority, to walk with intentionality, and then to walk with passion. We're called to walk with authority. God has given us authority to turn our world upside down. Intentionality, know what we're about, know where we're serving, know what we're doing, plugged into the kingdom of God. And then with passion, knowing that Jesus hasn't sent us with a baseball bat to walk around the community and belt people over the skull and tell them what they're doing wrong. Jesus has called us to go into the community and proclaim the goodness of God. Our world is hurting. Our world is broken. Our world is lost. Our world is confused. The society right now and the school system is raising up a generation of young people that have so much junk dumped on their head. We're about to receive probably the most confused, hurt, bruised, messed up young people that have ever been on planet earth. And God is raising our church up to be the net that can help those people get saved, get healed, get their lives turned around and find some level of restoration. This is our responsibility as people that are called to the kingdom of God. And when we've given all of that, the promise comes to us of his presence all the time teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As we go into all the world and we preach all the gospel and we make disciples of all nations and we reach all generations, we will be surrounded by his presence all the time. Is there anybody excited about being surrounded by the presence of God? The musicians can come. It begins here. That's where it begins, our Jerusalem, our, our, our home, 5225 Backlet Road in Springfield, Virginia. It begins here. This is our opportunity. If you're visiting our home today, so glad that you're here. You've, you've walked into a place with some amazing people. Anna and I will often just be somewhere and be like, how cool is God to allow us the privilege to pastor such great people? This is a great church. If you don't have a church home, our hand is up. We want to pastor you. We want to help you. We want to love on you. We've got a great pastoral team. Some of our team are away today. Pastor Bill and Sharon are ministering out. Pastor Dan yesterday uh, did the memorial service for his wife, Linda, and then put her ashes in the ground with his family. So he's away. Keep praying for Pastor Dan. Uh, we've got a great team of leaders and we've got a great church. We love you. This is our home. Let's come together and do something significant. I, I believe our heart for the house offering is that. It's our ability to come together and do something significant for God to go together. So let's have a heart for this house. Let's have a, an expectation of excellence. 
let's, let's, let's be people of generosity in not just our words and our actions, but financially. Let's find our place to serve in this house. Let's, let's find our purpose in this house. Let's, let's, let's invite our world into this house. Let's, let's open the doors wide for our community in this house. Let's own the vision and the mandate for this house. Let's rise up to the apostolic call that God has placed on this house. Let's be all that God has called us to be in this house. Let's believe that the gospel is going to be manifest in this house. The curse of poverty broken in this house. The brokenhearted healed in this house. The power of sin smashed by grace in this house. Let hope and vision come to those who are lost in this house. Let addiction be broken and people set free in Jesus' name in this house. Let sickness and disease be vanquished in this house. Let the year of the Lord's favor be proclaimed in this house. Let those who are bitter and broken be restored in this house. Let us believe for Jesus to comfort those who are wounded, who are lost, who are confused, who are lonely, who have been abandoned in this house. Let people find a home in in this house, that people find victory and Jesus in this house, that there be awakening in this house, that there be revival in this house, that thousands of people discover Jesus in this house, that our children and our children's children and our children's children's children find salvation in this house, that us be a people of influence for Jesus in this house let the lost and the broken and the lonely and the confused and the rejected and the abandoned let them find the love of God in this house if you believe that come on let's give the Lord a great round of applause right now